welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Schaff. My guest today is Michelle Lookadoo. Michelle has been a professional dancer and educator for over 20 years. Her experience as a performer includes dancing in professional ballet companies, to originating roles on Broadway, and appearing in feature films and on television. In addition to her work as a performer, Michelle is the former Associate Dean of Undergraduate Studies at Hushing College in Los Angeles and a published author of the books Making It Work, A Dancer's Guide to the Business of Professional Dance, and the upcoming I'm Talented, Now What? In addition to all of this, she has proudly kept a small human alive for over two and a half years. Michelle, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, So tell me a little bit about your background as a performer and your relationship with anxiety. Well, I started out as a ballet nerd. I started out as a ballet dancer. Um, I went to American Ballet Theater in New York when I was 14 to study um, and then was completely in the world of ballet. I danced for um, three different ballet companies, uh, New Jersey Ballet, Richmond Ballet, and Lexington Ballet. And then I ended up uh, auditioning on a dare for a musical um, and fell in love. It was My Fair Lady at the Paper Mill Playhouse. And I did that during my um, summer break from the ballet company. And um, I just, I loved it. I I could be the extra person that I was. Um, I could be a little chunky. I didn't have to wear point shoes and I could sing. So um, I dove uh, headfirst into the world of musical theater. Um, I started obviously studying and singing some more. I learned how to tap dance um, and dance in heels, which was in itself a... uh, a whole new thing. Um, and then I got my first Broadway show about a year later, um, which was Beauty and the Beast. And I did Beauty and the Beast, um, and then original Broadway cast of Mary Poppins, and then original Broadway cast of Little Mermaid, which was fun. I got to play Ariel eventually. Um, and then the uh, Broadway cast of Anything Goes, and I got to play Hope Harcourt. And then I also did a little show called Chance and Chemistry. So I was on Broadway eight shows a week for... Um, eight and a half years. It was crazy. Um, and then I moved to Los Angeles and decided to get into television and film. Um, so I've been doing some TV film and some producing out here, um, then fell into education and then went into writing. So I've kind of had a bunch of different careers, um, which has been fun and exciting. Um, I like to climb one mountain and then not stay up there for long and pick another mountain and go up back up. Um, but my history with anxiety actually stems from um, beginning to audition in the musical theater world. Um, there was something about dancing for me that, you know, I did, you know, still get nervous before I would go on stage or for auditions. Um, but going into a room full of people sitting behind a table, staring at me while I try to sing 16 bars was for me the beginning of, (laughs) um, kind of a, a, a slow realization, um, that I need to, uh, recognize, um, my, my feelings and what my body's telling me when it come, when it came to performing. Um, I found that I think it, it, it was one of the, the biggest detriments, I think, to my career in general, because the only way I could get a job was to go in and dance first and get out all the nerves and then go in and try to make it through my 16 bars and my sides without like physically shaking. Um, 
so I, you know, it, it kept me from doing a lot of lead roles. Um, I was, you know, pretty much always the understudy because I was so nervous in auditions that I, you know, basically, you know, made myself so nervous that I ended up not being present in the room and not, not focusing on the material and just focusing on, oh my God, what do they think of me? Oh, that was a terrible thing that I just did. Oh my gosh. Like what do I, you know, <laughs> kind of spiraling in my head. Um, and then, you know, that's kind of, uh, that moved on to, you know, my, my life, you know, I think anything that, um, in our, in our lives and in our bodies, physiologically, psychologically, that, that remains, um, undealt with, uh, generally tends to, um, fold in on, on itself and compound until we choose to shine a light on it. Um, so I did, you know, I had a, a lot of anxiety, even in my, my job, um, uh, my job as an associate dean, um, trying to work through, you know, <laughs> COVID and, you know, we had a lot of different um, changes at the school between like name changes and, and um, ownership changes. And, and I found myself, uh, you know, really not, not dealing with the, the anxiety that I was feeling um, on the day to day from my job. So I actually ended up uh, quitting my job a, a few weeks ago. Um, to kind of step out into my own journey of, of healing, of, of understanding and being able to take control a little bit more of um, how my body reacts to stressors and how my, my brain can circumnavigate the um, anxiety that I have come to feel as part of my life. Right. You mentioned the audition process. Um, and as a, as a director myself, I am always trying to figure out like, what is a better way <laughs> to do this? <laughs> um, so as a leader in the arts community, as someone who is now on the other side of that table, what practices would you like to see changed and what, and, and treat artists more respectfully and humanely? Well, I mean, I think the first thing is that, that actors really aren't set up to succeed in the audition process. I, I think that, you know, there's there's something that's very scary to anybody um, about a group of people sitting behind a table staring at you quietly with pens and, and paper ready to write down all of the things you did wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, acting, dancing, singing, performing in itself is collaborative. And, you know, Sometimes you're lucky if you have a reader in the room, but um, for the most part, it's just you in a room if you're singing or acting and auditioning, um, just not really in, in the process, not working through the process, just coming in and going blah to a, gr a group of people who just say thank you and then you leave. Um, I think that, you know, while it may be more time consuming, I think that the whole audition process can be reimagined, it can be rediscovered and to be a more collaborative process to potentially be, you know, something that is not so, um, it can almost combative, it feels like sometimes, you know, you've been in those rooms right. where you go in, you're like, oh, they hate me when you walk in. <laughs> like, right. you, you don't want that. Like, as, as artists too, you know, we tend to beat ourselves up a lot, or I do. Um, one of the things that has really contributed to my nervousness when it comes to auditioning or, or in life is, is my inner monologue. Mm -hmm. So my inner monologue, you know, usually goes something like, oh my God, 
that was so dumb. Why did you say that? Oh, she look at her. She thinks you're stupid. Oh my gosh. They're looking at you. You just messed up. They know. And it all really like kind of spirals around me and what people think of me and um, what I'm doing wrong. And, and it's, it's not really, it's as an artist, you know, we have to be confident enough to step out into creative risk-taking, right? When you know, to try that mm-hmm. ridiculous choice that no one else is going to think of, that's going to give a new edge to a character that's been reimagined thousands of times. Um, and if, if we spend so much time beating ourselves up, like kind of hitting that little fun kid that loved to imagine when they were a child and say, you know, get back in the closet. You are dumb, stupid, stupid, ugly, fat, you know, untalented, whatever our inner monologue is, then that fun little kid doesn't want to come out and play anymore. And, um, and that is in itself, I believe a disservice to ourselves as artists. You recently shared a great story on your blog about your inner monologue and talking to your plants. (laughs) <laughs> I yes so um since this whole uh covid situation happened since you know we started quarantine quarantining on March 11th and um I got into gardening um which I'm not really the biggest gardener or haven't been in the past like I don't really like nature that much or bugs or dirt um <laughs> but I just I ordered some tomato seeds off of Amazon and I put them in some dirt and I just started taking care of them. And little by little, they were like kept growing and growing and I was so excited to see them grow. And, and I would every morning, I would just like ritualistically get up and, you know, do my thing and then go outside and water the plants. And I would talk to them and make sure they had enough sun and, you know, make sure that like I would check in on them every day. And then I realized... <laughs> I wasn't really doing, I, I, I had not in the past treated myself as well as I treated my tomato plants. Um, <laughs> we, I think as human, like we are kind of plants, right? I, I think we, we are, you know, we need um, air, oxygen. We need to breathe and, and make sure that we're getting oxygen in our bodies. And, you know, it seems you know, stupid, but, but we really don't. M- many of us don't like we use like 20% of our lung capacity or something ridiculous. Um, we need water just like plants. We need hydration and even a 2% drop in hydration can, you know, decrease your, your cognition and your ability to, to respond to external stimuli. Um, and then sun, you know, I, I need sun. Sun makes me happy a little, you know, you know, obviously with sunscreen and then, you know, positive talk. Uh, mm-hmm. my lovely friend, Leslie Stevens, who's a, a Broadway diva herself, um, has a lot of plants and, and told me that she talked to her plants and I was like, oh, that sounds crazy. And then one day I started talking to them and I was like, well, this is nice. <laughs> I do believe that the more positivity you put out in the world, kind of the more comes back at you. So, you know, potentially, you know, me saying those good little things to my plants in the morning has some kind of butterfly effect and, you know, is, is, is reiterated in the nutrition that I get from eating them. And then, you know. Right. But also in, in learning how to be as kind to yourself with your own inner monologue as you are to your plants. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you know, I mean, I think a lot of us have read the research about, you know, how, how, you know, many, many hundreds of years ago when we were, you know, cavemen and chasing Buffalo, um, we needed to, 
to pick out the things that were wrong, the things that were bad, the things that, you know, we had done wrong because if we didn't fix them, we would perish. Right. Right. Um, But these days when, you know, there's not a a snake in the grass ready to come bite us unless you're hiking at Griffith. um, (laughs) It's just, we, we still have that mindset of picking out what's wrong and what's bad and, and, um, and we really ignore the positive. Coming up, children and anxiety and the frustrations of meditating. Wanted to take a moment to tell you all about an organization that is very near and dear to my heart, the Actors Fund. Don't be fooled by the name. The Actors Fund is for everyone in entertainment, not just actors. The Actors Fund is a national human services organization meeting the needs of the entertainment community. I have personally benefited from the Actors Fund career development, affordable housing, and healthcare services. They also offer emergency financial assistance, insurance counseling, senior care, support groups, and mental health counseling services. Head on over to theactorsfund.org for more information. The Actors Fund, for everyone in entertainment. So you have a super adorable two and a half year old son. (laughs) Um, What has having a child taught you about your anxiety? Ah, Um, well... Two things. First of all, actually kind of related to that. Um, we So his name is Carter. Carter and I went to the park the other day and um, we bought a, brought a big bag with toys and a big blanket and snacks and fun things. And we had a ridiculous time and we rolled around and threw the ball and you know, ate snacks and, and played puzzles and did all kinds of crazy things. And then at the end, he started, you know, being a two and a half year old. Um, and then I said, okay, it's time to go. And, um, I put him in the car and he was like very frustrated and, you know, I think hungry and then kicked me in the face as I was putting him in the car seat. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's not good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so afterward we were talking about it. We got home and, and my husband goes, Carter, did you have fun at the park? And he goes, I kicked mama in the face. <laughs> I was like, but 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 we did, and he also picked up a, a dead bird while we were there, um, and I was like, ah, and I freaked out. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, don't touch that! And of course, he you know freaked out a little bit because I was freaking out. But right. um, he, it's so funny because he's the two things he told my husband we did at the park were I kicked Mama in the face and I touched a dead birdie. I'm like, what other good, what are the good things you we did at the park? Like, do you remember throwing the ball? Do you remember, you know, talking to the other little kid? He didn't. He just remembered the bad things. And I think that, you know, um, from a, from a, you know, physiological standpoint, you know, since we are potentially programmed to find the bad, we need to take control of actively making ourselves recognize the good because if Mm -hmm. we don't then that can you know reap some really negative rewards and this kind of goes back to my other story from the audition anxiety it's the more I find that I realize that it is not about me the less I feel anxiety within kind of a lot of the things that I do um 
specifically with auditioning or with performing, you know, I would maybe make a mistake on stage and I would assume that everyone had seen it or heard it. And and nobody really saw it or heard it. They they all, you know, are kind of thinking of themselves. They're busy worrying about if everybody else saw and heard the mistake they made, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, it's really, really not about us. All of the the negative and, and I'm see I see this in Carter because it has kind of become my life, parts of my life have become less about me and more about taking care of him. You know, sometimes I'll realize mm-hmm. I'm out with him and I've forgotten to, you know, brush my hair or something because <laughs> I've been too busy <laughs> making sure he has snacks and water and his toy. Right. Um, and, and I think all of the negative emotions that we have that we, that we feel that are largely related to anxiety and, and stressors are um, emotions that are that are very connected to ourselves and our perception of ourselves and our perception of how the world sees us. Things like fear, um, things like anger, uh, you know, stress, anxiety, all of those are really related to uh, inward and in, like introspection. And not to say that we shouldn't be introspective. I think that's obviously a very important part of life. Um, but but I believe that, you know, when the introspection isn't largely positive, then it can um, manifest itself with physical results. Agreed, agreed. Um, so what tools have you found useful in mitigating and dealing with your anxiety? Okay. <laughs> I'm the worst meditator in the world. Well, I have been the worst meditator in the world. <laughs> um, also, but like, okay, so I'm not the most disciplined with things that I don't want to do. Um, but also, you know, it's again that internal monologue, right? So, like, I'll start meditating, and and I'll be like. I'll start thinking of the grocery list or something. And then I'll be like, oh God, Michelle, you're, you're, you're not meditating. You're thinking about the grocery list. God, you're so bad at this. Oh, oh my God. And then, you know, a minute goes by and right. then, you know, I meditate for, you know, I find, you know, some kind of, you know, calm peacefulness for 30 seconds. And then I like check the clock and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've actually like, I've, I've forced myself to meditate. Um, I've set alarms on my phone, um, that go off very loudly, um, with Tchaikovsky's Serenade for Strings, um, Mm -hmm. telling me go meditate right now. Um, and, and I go and do it because, uh, I've realized if I make myself spend not even five minutes in, in, in meditation, in stopping down, breathing, putting everything down, closing my eyes, just taking an an, um, an inventory of how I feel internally, physically, emotionally, externally, um, it makes a huge difference because that um, it's like a it's like when you're you know filling up a bucket, right? Um, I feel like the day fills our anxiety bucket up higher and higher and higher and higher, and for me, taking a minute two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, ideally to meditate empties that bucket out again Mm -hmm. so that I can kind of keep, keep on keeping on and then, you know, let that bucket fill up and then stop down and empty it again. Right. Right. You have a book coming out in December. Can you tell us about it? 
I do. Um, it is called I'm Talented Now What? Um, it is a 16-week workbook for performing artists. Um, so it pairs really well with any um, course that is structured on a semester basis. It has five um, exercises per week for 16 weeks that guide dancers, singers, actors, visual artists, um, all performers um, through kind of shaping their career and making sure their their career is sustainable as a career and as a lifestyle. So it goes from, you know, goal setting in the beginning, figuring out why you're doing your career, and then really looking at what you need to do to supplement your career. What do you need to do skills-wise? What do you need to find side hustle-wise? What are your finances? How can you make sure that you're financially sustainable so that you can pay the money to, you know, go to dance class or for that voice lesson. Um, and then it goes through, you know, working on marketing yourself at, into the industry, finding a mentor, networking, um, and all of the things that you kind of need to put together a purposeful performing arts career. A lot of artists these days, you know, you talk to a dancer and they're like, I, what do you want to, what do you want to do with your dance career? I just want to dance. I just want to dance for a living. Um, that doesn't really, <laughs> little thing. That's, that's great. Yeah. But, um, but you got, you have to be a lot more specific, specific, specifically in, you know, today's day and age where there are so many different careers in the dance, you know, hopefully post COVID and, and acting and musical theater and, and performing arts industry. Um, the more specific you are about what you want to do, the quicker you can get there. What was your inspiration for creating this? I actually, um, teaching at the at the college, I found that, you know, one of the things that students were most interested in was, I would call it 10 minutes of business. Um, and we would sit down before a ballet or musical theater class and, um, and I would set my alarm and they would ask me anything about the industry. Um, you know, what are unions? Um, what's the difference between an agent and a manager? How can I make a living doing musical theater? How can I make a living on television? Um, and I realized that these are a lot of questions that um, performers don't get answers for in high school. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of, you know, high school performing arts programs don't prepare artists for a sustainable career. And it's a career, you know? Right. The, or university programs for that matter too. I, yeah. I find a lot of a lot of them don't address the business side of the business. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's something that's just as important as, as knowing your craft, right? Um, it, like it's not as sexy. It's not as exciting to, you know, talk about what, you know, you're going to pay for rent and groceries and cell phone bill, and then figure out how many hours you need to drive Uber to make up for what you're making in your dance class or your dance company or whatever. But, but it's, it's necessary. And um, right. it's super important. You've had a multifaceted career. What would you say to someone who is looking to change careers or change their focus within the industry right now? Um, as I transition right now from um, from being a, a dean at a college to um, being a more full-time writer um, mm -hmm. and uh, educator in the performing arts, I realize that I personally have had oh, at least 10 different careers in my lifetime. 
um, you know, professional dancer, professional singer, um, film producer, dance teacher, administrator. I worked at Starbucks for goodness. Like I did quality <laughs> control for Simon and Schuster. I was a blogger, like so many things, um, that, that I realized that these days, you know, when artists are looking at their careers, um, you have to look at the different facets of your career. It's not, um, the performing arts these days is not like, you know, you know, a hundred years ago where, you know, your father was a cobbler, you shall be a cobbler until you perish and your children and their children's children shall be cobblers. Um, the, the average person that is entering the industry right now has seven to 10 different careers within their 10 years after they graduate from college. So, I mean, I I feel like, you know, a lot of people feel like they need to, you know, pick one thing that they're going to do for the rest of their lives and they're going to do it forever, even if they're not happy. Um, And, and I think one of the ways unhappiness in what you're doing manifests itself is in anxiety because there is somewhere a disconnect, right? Between Mm -hmm. what you want things to be and what they currently are, whether that disconnect is within you or in your external situation or in how you um, react to your external situation. Um, But it, you know, I encourage everyone to like, if you're not happy, get out the boat and get into another one. There are thousands and thousands of different careers. <laughs> and especially now, you know, with, with the, with a virtual world, you can create, you know, choose your own adventure, create your own path, um, find the things you love to do, combine them. And I guarantee you that there are a thousand true fans that will be super happy to consume your content. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, just a, a little note of encouragement to, to people that, that are, you know, considering not pursuing where their passion is um, because of, you know, fear, stress, anxiety, um, you know, any, any mix of things. Um, To piggyback on that, I just read this fantastic book called Range by David Epstein, and I would highly recommend it to any artist who is currently struggling with their identity within the arts. Epstein makes a fantastic argument for being well-rounded and having a variety of interests and skills. And he provides some solid research and statistics for those of us with a non-linear career path. You've also started to explore some of this in your blog as well. Sure. Yes. Um, so I've been writing a lot more recently. Um, my, I have a blog, Um, And I have gotten super nerdy about wellness, about self-care, about... Um, healthy productivity, healthy ways to pursue what you want to pursue without balling yourself into stress, into anxiety, into, you know, finding flow and relaxing into, into wellness and productivity. And, and, um, you know, I've been getting nerdy about doing research on it and I've been blogging on it. So it's been a really fun endeavor and I, and I plan to continue doing it. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. It was wonderful to have you. You had some really great insight to offer. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks to my guest, Michelle Lookadoo. For more information on Michelle and her work, head on over to our website, anxietyandtheartist.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety in the Artist is produced by Grosta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Vosco Chef. 
This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.